hey guys, maybe you can help me like piece out what this movie was actually about. Because like in my notes on the themes of this movie, I just have dragons? Well, I'm pretty sure it was about heroic quests and ancient artifacts, right? Oh, I thought it was about a young woman learning her power in society while having her first paladin cycle. I thought it was a savvy political commentary about how our leaders are distant and removed. Wait, wasn't there a dragon? Who's to say? I don't know if we'll ever know what this was really about. Did we even watch a movie? Maybe we were each just going through our glittering. Wait, our our (laughs) glittering cycles are all synced up? So the movie was about the glittering cycles. I knew it. Hello, fantasy fans, and welcome to Swords and Satire, the podcast where we turn low fantasy into high art. I'm your dungeon manager, Jamie Mogul, here with my draconic co-hosts. That's draconic, not laconic. <laughs> I'm Chelsea Hollowell, a hero in training who doesn't understand the nature of dragons. Does anyone really understand the nature of dragons? Is it kind of like cats? Kind of. And I'm Jack Olander, a priestess from a religion that nobody understands who was cut down like a dog in the street. <laughs> and for no apparent reason either, because the villain flip-flopped right afterwards. Yeah. You know, you kill a monastery full of nuns and you start to reflect on your life choices. Maybe that's what happened off screen. It's as simple as that. <laughs> so my role in society is to die so someone can get over their issues? Oh, boy. I don't know if I like where this movie is going. Oh, God. And speaking of this movie, this week we're going to be talking about The Crown and the Dragon. Colon, the Paladin Cycle, at least depending on where you find the movie. Sometimes they have that subtitle. Sometimes they don't. I don't think this is a cycle, although this movie is ostensibly a either sequel or prequel to another movie we watched, <laughs> Dawn of the Dragon Slayer. It's, I'm confused. It's, <laughs> it's I, chaos. This movie is chaos. I was confused for the entire film, so that is okay. But let's get some technical information out of the way first. Reality is breaking down. <laughs> So this movie was partially funded on Kickstarter. It was released in 2013, directed by Anne K. Black, who's also the director of the aforementioned Dawn of the Dragon Slayer and two of the Mythica movies. Oh, that's what I remembered her from. Cool. And I only know about any of these movies because we do this podcast. Yes. <laughs> I mean, that's a fairly good reason to know about obscure fantasy movies. Yeah, I suppose so. <laughs> At least we know about, like, our subject matter. <laughs> kind of. I mean, I'm, I'm something, slow. Something low fantasy. Yeah. I, I'm slowly getting there, I think. There are still big gaps. But let's make sure yes. to give credit where credit is due. Uh, this movie stars Amy DeBrune, 
David Hayden, Vidal Sancho, and Tim Trelor. Sancho. Sancho. Let's not steal uh, Matt and Trey's jokes. Oh, no. I was referring to the uh, character from Don Quixote, the sidekick, oh, Sancho. Yes. You mean yes, uh, the driver. What was the, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, what was the name of that uh, Don Quixote movie we watched? The Man Who Killed Don Quixote. The Man Who Killed Don Quixote. Yeah. Thank you. Not for the show. We haven't watched it for the show yet. Maybe oh we could. God. It is Gosh, kind of a fantasy movie. But it's pretty obvious from how distracted we are that this movie is quite a journey. So why don't we try to buckle in, strap on the seatbelts attached to your office chairs. Do you think I could do the summary in one sentence? I think you could either do the summary in one sentence or you couldn't even do the summary in a million sentences. So try <laughs> one or the other. Let's let's start with the former and see what happens. Uh, I what uh, I I think it could be fun if we all came up with a single sentence summary. Okay, let's try that. Yeah. Okay. Let me let me start, and then you guys jump in with like your bit. And who's gonna go in the middle? I'll go in the middle. Okay. So I'll I'll kind of set it up. Jack will do the middle piece, and you'll try to sum it up, Jamie. Cool. Okay. Are you guys ready? Here we go. Yes. Shit. Uh... <laughs> it's going to be the longest run-on sentence ever. And, and, and. Okay, so there's a dragon prophecy and a mythological artifact that's carried by the noblewoman Ellen. Ellen. Ellen on her way to a secret coronation. But first... More importantly, will they, won't they? Who knows? Uh-oh, kidnapped. But actually, this is all just the backdrop, or maybe the foredrop, for a political intrigue about a rightful king being crowned in secret because of a rebellion taking place between two warring kingdoms. Flawless, guys. We did it. <laughs> Nailed it. I'm turning off the recording now, and this episode is done. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> now that we've uh, told you all the pertinent facts about the crown and the dragon. <laughs> hey there, listeners. I think now's a good time to tell you about our Patreon, where we have our outtakes for those who subscribe. This might be a good episode for outtakes. This episode is a preview. You'll only know if you support us on Patreon. <laughs> That's right. But hey, guys, I think we've said enough about what happens oh. in this movie. Why don't we head into the delve? Welcome to the Delve, where we venture deep into the themes, scenes, and lore of The Crown and the Dragon. And now I think it's time to head to the ratings. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. We're going to talk about this movie. Yeah, whatever there is to talk about. One thing we forgot to mention 
in the summary was she was kind of kidnapped or being led around the countryside by this man named Aiden, who was like a rogue smuggler guy that she met on the road. And she helped save him from being taken to an execution for his crimes of smuggling, I guess. And um, her aunt, who was like a lore keeper about the dragon prophecy, got killed by the guards and she hired Aiden to take her to a nunnery? I don't know. I respect a movie that introduces a like interesting main character, and I'm talking about the aunt here, who apparently has the magical ability to talk to and control horses and then kills her immediately and leaves us with the boring, pointless characters who feel like they have no interesting reason or compelling point for adventuring through the story. Yeah. If this movie had been about the aunt, I think it would have been awesome. Yeah, maybe that was intentional, you know what? Maybe um, they intentionally wanted to kind of have the atypical characters being the ones who go on this, like, heroic quest. But it's unclear, like, what kind of message they were trying to portray from that or, or, or espouse. I commend you for being kind to the script. Because <laughs> I am not sure that... They intended that? They intended that. I, I just think that they were like, oh, we're going to have... I don't, I don't, I'm not going <laughs> to... <laughs> So the aunt gets gets ganked, right? She yeah. dies. And then we see the main character who has no discernible personality or skill, right? <laughs> she specifically cannot cast magic like her aunt. She doesn't know anything about the artifact that she's given by her aunt. She, I mean, like I said, the aunt was the main character, and then she died in the very beginning to pass the torch to the younger character. But, like, whoever wrote the script could have just been like, oh, we'll just make the magical, like, horse whisperer who knows about this artifact the main character and just go with that. But they didn't do that. Yeah, let's talk about the characters a little bit, right? Sure, I would love to. I would love to know anything about these characters. So what is the main girl's name again? Alen. So Alen, right? She is immediately given two companions after they escape the guards. Uh, a fighter and a rogue, right? <laughs> I don't know if I'd call Leaf the rogue her companion, but sure, that is a generous yes. description. We're going to get to that, right? Leaf ends up not being a good companion because he attacks her immediately. Yeah. And what's the fighter's name? Aiden. Aiden. A former soldier in the king's army, I believe. Right. Yes, Leaf attacks her in a very disturbing trope that a lot of low fantasy, low budget movies use. Yes. And enough said. Yeah, enough said. And Aiden has to come to her rescue and you know, I'm I'm kind of a sucker for the knight tropes, you sure. know, a fighter with some morals, a fighter with a code. Yeah, when it's he, done well, I, I actually really appreciate those types of characters. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of like he's a fallen knight, and then this quest kind of sends him on a redemption path in a way. Yeah, sort of. and Leaf was he he kind of gives Leaf the benefit of a doubt. Well, at first he puts a knife to his throat and he's like, "Back up, buddy, you're fucked." 
kiddo, right? Yeah. And Leaf is like, I'll never forget when someone holds a knife to my throat. I thought we were partners. And Aiden's like, were. Now let me walk away until a convenient point later in the plot where I will be significant again. Yeah. And and it's like, he's not very significant and it didn't matter. And we were like, who is that again? Oh, yeah, that guy from the beginning. Why is he here? Why not? Because he <laughs> yeah. was in the beginning. It's Chekhov's rogue. <laughs> so, yeah. if anything, I think he exists just to show how great Aiden is, right? I <laughs> because guess. when Leaf is making trouble in the beginning, Elena? Ellen. 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 <laughs> it's like Ellen, but instead of two L's there's and one N, there's one L and two N's. And it just it's a more complicated way of saying Ellen. Okay. Just to confuse you more. So <laughs> when Leaf is making trouble, A and Aiden sends him on his way. Ellen is like, wow, that guy's a real asshole. And Aiden is like, well, no, not really. He's just a guy who's seen too much war. We fought in the war together and he was a good guy. But, you know, that sort of thing can change a person. And that's immediately like, oh, look at Aiden. He's so understanding of <laughs> even scoundrels, right? Sure. Yeah. And then later, Leaf shows up again at a critical point in the film. He's like, revenge time, night boy. And Aiden is just like, hey, man, we don't have to do this, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. It's a pretty close fight for some reason. And uh, then Aiden kills Leaf, and that's all Leaf existed for, to make Aiden seem kind of merciful and empathetic. But also not before he runs Aiden through with a sword, yet Leaf dies to, like, a small penknife stab. Yeah. Like... Yes. I mean, I know that fighters have a bigger hit die than rogues, but it's I don't think it's that cl uh, that far off, <laughs> that far afield. <laughs> it's true. For the amount of damage that, like, tiny, tiny knife did, they should have had a scene from, like, a profile shot where he stabs him with the little knife and just buckets of gore explode <laughs> out of Leaf's back. <laughs> like, I'm not, I'm not saying it wouldn't hurt to get stabbed in the side with, like, a pen knife, but... Aiden got run through with a sword and lives. Well, that's another thing I noticed. At one point in the story, right? Aiden and Ellen <laughs> are kidnapped by this laird, right? Which is just like, you know, Corvus. they're kind of they're kind of Scottish. Yeah. Oh, oh, that dude, the guy who Aiden like seems to know. Yeah, from his backstory. They're kidnapped by this, like, Scottish laird, right? Yeah. And his, his clan. Name? You looking up his name? No. I... <laughs> no. This, this movie is not easy to find information on, and I don't want to rewatch the whole thing just to, like, figure out who's who. Okay, we should keep that in. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> anyway. They get kidnapped by this, like, Scottish laird and his clan, right? Yeah. And they're talking about why the Scottish Laird slaps Aiden when they first meet. And Aiden is like, oh, it's because we fought one time. I stabbed him right here with a sword. Of course, it was non-lethal, but he's still mad about it, right? Yeah. And then later, in the duel that Aiden is having with Leaf, and I don't, I doubt this was intentional. Maybe it was. 
Leaf stabs Aiden through that same spot, and that gives Aiden the opportunity to stab Leaf, right? And Aiden doesn't die from that. Jack is indicating a space just above the uh, left hip bone. Yeah, it's kind of like in the spleen area. Yeah, or large, uh, small intestines. Yeah. Uh, isn't it crazy that every person has just one spot on their torso where you can just stab there all day and no bad things will happen <laughs> to you? Yeah. Swords, uh, knives, g- just go hog wild. Well, you know, you guys talking about the different types of wounds and how they don't seem to be proportional to how much damage they should do or if they should be lethal or not kind of reminds me of the other continuity issues in this film. Oh, we haven't talked about those yet. (laughs) It's happening. Those are like well-known, right? I want to preface this section by saying that while we were watching the movie, Chelsea kept saying, we've seen this before. And I was like, no, there's no way we've seen this before. I don't recognize anything. And she was like, no, I insist. I, I know it. We we watched this movie before. We watched it years ago. And I was like, no, I don't remember anything. And then there's a scene where Aiden throws Elen into a puddle of mud. And then in the next scene, they're walking across the country. They're walking across the countryside and both of their outfits keep changing. (laughs) Sometimes Elen is in the mud stained outfit. Sometimes it's bright, crisp red. Sometimes Aiden is wearing a leather jerkin and carrying a sword. Sometimes he's not. And he's wearing his like ratty wanderers outfit. And I mean, it is like, I'm not saying it's like scene to scene, like something's going on between shot to shot this is changing and i'm like <laughs> this part i remember i remember it because of the terrible editing mistake they made yeah. where we don't find out where i guess aiden got his whole nightly garb and Ellen got a dry cleaning done on her dress a friend we were watching the movie with said it was like they went to a town at some point and got a costume change and he found a sword somewhere and it got cut down for time. Yeah, but it was crazy because they're literally from one shot to the next. These people are are in completely different clothes. There was a comedic moment, though, in this whole line of them traveling, this whole kind of montage of them traveling, showing them in different terrain. And like Jamie's saying, their outfits keep switching back and forth. So normally it would switch from her in dirty clothes and him in his rags to her in clean clothes and him with the jerkin and sword. But then (laughs) in one scene when they were camping at night, she was in the dirty clothes and he was in the jerkin and sword. I was like, whoa, what's happening? It's blowing my mind. There's also a scene where they're running away from, I don't even remember because this movie is so hard to follow, let's say a dragon, and they go to jump off of a cliff, like a death-defying dive off the fucking like cliffs of Dover, but you know, whatever that is in Ireland where they film this, and he throws his sword down and jumps into the water, which first off, I'm like, why can you not swim with your sword? But then 20 minutes later, he's got the fucking sword back. (laughs) 
They didn't show that he painstakingly climbed back onto the cliff after waiting for the dragon to... No, I'm lightsabering. <laughs> so, they make a big deal about him not having a sword in the beginning. Yeah. Montage, he has a sword. But there's nothing in the montage that says he should have it. He throws away the sword, <laughs> right? He has the sword again. All right, later on. He's and then at the end of the movie he can't even use the sword to fight the dragon and he kills Leaf with the pen knife. This dude's like fucking Beowulf. Like every sword fails him. But yeah. he's a shitty Beowulf. And <laughs> when sure. the dragon is chasing him on the beach later on at the end of the movie, he takes his sword, he reverse grips it, and he chucks it like a javelin into the air, and it just spins terribly. It's not a good throw. It's just ludicrously hunked at this dragon, which misses. Well, that's how it would go, because it's not designed to do that. No, and it misses. It, it doesn't even come close. He whiffs yeah. it terribly. He just threw his weapon away, and he's fucked. Then he just hides in some rocks. Yeah. yeah. Like a hero. Which, the dragon can breathe fire into a hole. You threw away your weapon and you put yourself in a corner. Why? Oh, I'm in the oven now. Great. This fire-breathing monster can't hurt me in a fucking oven. I'm glad you guys are recounting this part for me because this was near the end of the movie. I must have been zoning out by this point, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember this stuff. I do remember her... Floating in waist-deep water, uh, this is Elen, who was also on the beach, and sirens swimming all around her, helping her to reshape or uh, restore the magical alicorn that she had been carrying around the whole movie. We and haven't then... even really talked about the fact that the artifact is a alicorn that's been split in two... And I believe at some point in the middle of the movie, they show the whole thing together. And then, but before and after that, we see it in parts. I know. Uh, but so she comes out of the water and she's able to hold back the dragon fire by holding uh, the alicorn above her head. And it has all these runes carved into it. Uh I can't remember how they defeat the dragon. I think I zoned out during that part. So the you looked away. One of you looked away for half a second, right? And that's how long it took for her to kill the dragon with the alicorn. She blocks the fire and then <laughs> she just... I don't think she says anything. It's, not, it's a very forgettable moment. It's half an instant. She just kind of like points it at him <laughs> and a disintegration beam just annihilates Jesus. the dragon instantly. They just highlight all the art assets on the dragon and press delete. And she wants to give that shit yes. away to uh, Garrick, the secret king who's going to ha have a coronation in some time in the future of this movie. Who's And he's never on screen. We never get to see what's going on with him. People just always <laughs> reference him. So I'm glad you brought up the... Subtle world building that this film does. <laughs> because like I said, it's basically, I guess, a backdrop for this actual political intrigue. Throughout the movie, they're talking about these kingdoms of uh, Dara and the Vitalian Empire. And I guess the Vitalian Empire has overtaken the kingdom of Dara 
and the rightful king, I guess, Garrick, is supposed to be coronated in a secret ceremony, and Elan is supposed to bring this alicorn there, but we don't see any of that, and it is not laid out in a way that makes that clear. It's not like in the first Lord of the Rings movie where it's like, oh, okay, like, Frodo has the ring, and he needs to take it to Mount Doom to destroy it. It's this weird, obtuse background talk that they're doing like oh we got to get to the coronation why are you going to a fucking coronation by halfway through the movie i completely forgot that her aunt was talking to a random dude who just disappears and never shows up again in the movie about this coronation yeah and it seems like this is a royal artifact that is kind of like a way to legitimize the person in power but it also seems like it's something that the paladin can use and and wield like a wep a magical weapon and ellen ellen turns out to be this mythical paladin which is like a christian warrior i suppose like magical warrior and she can create fire with a magical word once she becomes the paladin. And Wait, the, what? <laughs> yeah, she learns magic. The way you become a paladin is apparently called the glittering, where you go on a dream quest. But we we only get to see bits and pieces of the dream quest. You know what would have been cool? Is if we got to see her go on this dream quest. No, we mostly just get <laughs> to see Aiden carry her around and not throw her in mud for once when she's on her, quote, dream quest. Yeah. I think it was mostly an excuse to strip the actress naked and and paint Oum and runes on her. Yeah. Because that seems to be the extent of this glittering. Yeah. But it's... suddenly the villain Corvus, who we haven't even had a chance to fucking talk about, like, becomes not the villain because of this, but then is forced to fight Aiden to the death for this other king dude, who I guess is the lord of the Vitalian Empire. Yeah, or at least the local representative in not England. I fear that listeners might think that we are not doing a good job of explaining the story, but we are actually explaining it as clearly as the movie did, or even more so. Yeah. It is so hard to follow from scene to scene, even from second to second. Conversations take these wicked left turns that have no continuity between them. Yeah, like the villain Magister Corvus, he was like an ambassador for the Vitalians, but he's Darren himself. Darrens are kind of like the uh, Brit Britons, and uh, the Vitalians are kind of like the Spanish Empire. Okay, sure. <clears throat> sort yes. of. I'll buy it. And so... He's hated as a traitor by the other Darrens, Magister Corvus. And he's just seeming like he has the other half of the artifact. He's been searching for the half that Elen has that he eventually found out about. And he's working with this demon, this cool crow demon. Oh, guy. best character in the movie besides the magical uh, horse whispering aunt. Yeah. The crow demon rules. He can transform himself into a murder of crows and he's basically like this demon assassin and magister corvus sends him after ellen and aiden he is an unstoppable killing machine not unlike a terminator kind of yeah but after like two scenes he disappears and never returns 
Well, no, uh, Aiden kills that dude. Oh, that's right. Well, I mean, he just sets him on fire, but I guess yeah. it's his weakness. I mean, every living being's weakness is fire. <laughs> I must have looked away for a half second. <laughs> it it was like me and the dragon. Really quickly. He, like, just evaporated as soon as the fire hit him. He really should have come back as, like, a Jedi ghost at the end and just given, like, a crow hand thumbs up to the I two would have characters. liked that, yeah. He had big Darth Vader vibes. But before he died, he, like, as Jack mentioned in the intro, he slaughtered a whole cadre of nuns. Sure. I mean, like evil crow demons do. And it was apparently just to perhaps prevent the paladin from surfacing because they were chanting to try to bring forth the paladin, this mythological figure who was supposed to manifest in someone. And turns out it was Elen. Based on, I guess, the fact that her aunt was pretty cool and magical? I suppose so. And... That's when Corvus retrieved the other half of the artifact and then captured Elen and took her hostage. And after he did that, he's like, you know what? I've changed my ways. I want to protect you and help you escape from here. You you can't die because the Valerian or whatever the fuck they're called. Vitalian. The Vitalian leader who is there wanted her executed. And then Corvus changed sides and wanted to try to protect her even though he knew she was the paladin and he had wanted her dead so that she couldn't face against him. Sorry about the whole crow assassin demon thing, but we're cool, right? Right? It almost yeah. seemed like they were trying to make it like he had fallen in love with her, but they, it was like really awkward. I don't know if that was just a choice by the actors or intended. It I is don't know. confounding. So my interpretation of that was that he had kind of become evil because he was greedy and kind of just looking out for himself and he had lost hope in opposing the, you know, foreign invaders. And then he saw her as the paladin and was like, oh, you might be able to save us from these jerks. Sure, but it doesn't really get... We, like, there's no build-up to Corvus being redeemable. Like, the first thing we see him do in the movie is fighting these two dudes with like he he's fighting in no shirt like a dark souls player who wants to like get uh like full fast rolls and he scars this dude's cheek and insults him and is basically like oh you like struck a blow against me you'll pay for that and just like it's a fucking prick to everyone there's no build up to him being this redeemable character so you guys are, are bringing up a, a, an important point, and then I want to highlight it here just to make sure we really drive it home. Yes, this movie does not make any sense. That is the point. So Yeah, but I, I can tell you why. So this is intended to be a character-driven piece. Sure. But the characters are written in a way so that they're all one-dimensional and largely unknowable. We don't understand them or their motivations or where they've come from it doesn't come about organically so what that does to the film is it makes it really difficult to understand what the themes and messages are yes i i didn't know what to write down for that when i was writing my notes i just have a few notes about that kind of thing and then also since this is a really lore heavy film 
it also doesn't give us enough context to understand how any of that is truly relevant to the characters and like it doesn't further the overall themes or messages either yeah they're talking about the Falerica and the Vitalians and the darens and they don't explain the significance of any of this they use the term paladin which generally means like a holy knight i mean not just in games like a you know a knightly it's a knightly concept they were the knights of charlemagne originally like the original paladins right and i ex expected that this movie was going to end with I guess Elen finding out that she was like actually somehow a mythically great warrior, but that's not what happens. She basically kind of sort of becomes like a not very impressive wizard who can just block a fireball and then cast disintegration on a dragon. Like, yeah. why don't we see her fighting a dragon or why make the plot about a dragon pursuing them? Why not make her a warrior? Why did they call her a paladin? I don't know. Why is this called the paladin cycle? <laughs> so in the other movie, the paladin is like a knight who can survive dragon fire and yeah. kill a dragon. And that's all. That's that's the full description they give you. This one, they give you less of a description. <laughs> this one, they're like, She's in the glittering. She's glittering right now. And then she makes like a fire and they're like, that's paladin fire right there. Yeah. And uh, I guess there is some description, actually. The paladin is like the yin to the dragon's yang. The dragon poisons the land and the paladin heals the land. Right. And that means killing the other dragon, I guess. It's not because really balance. We, no, we don't see her healing the land. We just no. see her disintegrate the yin or yang, the yin to her yang. And that's it. And it's kind of like, yeah, they balance one another out, but then... But then one just kills the other one. So the balance is disrupted. Does that mean, like, another dragon has to be born? It's kind of like the Sith and the Jedi. Like... That's the cycle, yeah. Yeah. Sure. Hey guys, before we talk too much more about the movie, why don't we head to the bounty board? You awaken to a strange feeling, brush strokes on your skin. You awaken to find a strange man writing on your nude body. As you look down at the letters, you can make out the words. They say, Bounties? This week, Swords and Satire is sponsored in part by Audible, the leading provider of audiobooks and spoken word entertainment. And if you want a suggestion for a series to start your Audible collection with, might I suggest The Iron Druid Chronicles by Kevin Hearn? All three of the satirists love these audiobooks. They're about a millennia's old druid named Atticus O'Sullivan who lives in Tempe, Arizona, and goes around solving people's problems, gardening, fighting gods and demons, and basically doing all kinds of other stuff that you would think that a modern-day druid would do. These are really entertaining fantasy books with some interesting world-building, great lore, really lovable characters, and 
spoilers, eventually there's a talking dog. So why don't you go on over to Audible right now and uh, check out the Iron Druid Chronicles. That's what we suggest. But Audible isn't just a great source of audiobooks. Oh no. They have podcasts, like ours, comedy, original content, and more. There's something on Audible for everybody. It's also super convenient. You can download titles to your device so you can listen offline, which is really good for me because I'm often listening while working in the yard and my Wi-Fi sucks. And you can also listen across multiple devices without losing your place, which is also helpful for me because I have a bunch of different places I listen to Audible from. So head over to audibletrial.com swords right now to start your free 30-day trial. Get a credit for a free audiobook of your choice that you get to keep even if you cancel your membership. Not that you're going to want to. You'll also get an exclusive wellness guide and an email reminder before your trial ends. And after that, it's just $14.95 a month, and you get a credit for an audiobook every month. When you sign up for your free trial, you also help us keep the torches lit at Castle Satire. So once again, that's audibletrial.com slash swords. And now, back to the episode. But also, what is the movie about, right? You said <laughs> characters. Yeah. You said political intrigue or whatever, political strife. I say it's about the dragon, right? <laughs> the dragon's the real hero here. I, I think what it's actually about is none of those things. <laughs> it's about the will they, won't they, make them kiss romantic subplot. Between two people with no sexual chemistry to speak of. So Aiden is just like the knight in shining armor. She's just like the noble who is learning her way around the world, right? Yeah. And like you said, there's a scene where there's a muddy path and she's like, oh, my dress. I don't want to walk in the mud. He's like, worry not, my lady. And he picks her up. He drops her in the mud. And he's like, worry not because you're going to do it yourself. I'll ruin your dress, right? <laughs> and then there are two or three other scenes like that up until they acknowledge that there is romance there where she's charmed by him and then he's like, you idiot, and, and like dabs on her, right? I know. Until eventually she's drunk and she's just like, you know, you're kind of hot. And he's like, oh, I guess I'm in love now. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't go for when she's drunk, which is another way of showing that he's like the chivalrous guy, right? Which is nice. Yeah. I like that. That's good. But I guess that's a very low bar to right yeah. send well, over, but I'll I'll, I'll allow it. <laughs> yeah, I'll accept right. it. Right. In my yeah, in my mind, Aiden he kind of he kind of carries the movie, and Ellen she uh, she uh, I uh, she grew on me. Yeah. But uh, let me tell you. The only thing they focus on that for more than like 30 seconds in this film is when Aiden and Elen are kissing, when Elen is showering. <laughs> oh god, I forgot about the 
fucking unnecessary bath scene. It was or so being fucking painted. uncomfortable. Where Aiden comes into the room while the nuns are bathing her and then is just staring at her and then they're just staring at each other. And the nuns and then, are just like, uh, should we give you guys some privacy or... I was so wishing the nuns would start rubbing their hands together like, <laughs> oh, this is gonna be good. <laughs> They take forever to close the door in his face. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. Yeah, I guess that means it is kind of like character driven, like you said, because it spends the most time focusing on the relationship between the main two characters and everything else is just pushing them closer together. Right. Or just like putting strife on their relationship. Yeah. Like, oh, Aiden is talking to another girl. I guess I'll break this bottle over her head, right? Yeah, like, the movie really does spend the most time developing their non-romance romance. Yeah, and then at the end, it's kind of like they're into each other, but they haven't really had a lot of time to, like, get to know each other at yeah. all. I mean, maybe a little bit. I, I guess we get to know a lot more about Aiden than we do Alain. The movie definitely likes Aiden a lot. Yeah, it lingers on him quite a bit. Like, I could tell you a lot about his backstory. He was in the war after the war, which they lost. He stuck around with some of his former war band friends, and they became smugglers until they got caught. And then Ellen came around and broke them free, and now he escorted her his knightly code has been reminded to him, and then here we are. He fell in love. That's the most complex thing in the movie. He goes with Elen with the promise of being given wealth or land or something. Like, Elen is going to inherit a small keep, and she promises Aiden riches for helping her. Well, yeah, the keep um, has... Uh, large tracts of land attached to it. That's right. Great yeah. big tracts of land. <laughs> so, what you just said, right? He signs on to help this woman. Not because it's the right thing to do, but because he's going to gain something out of it. And then when he's given a spark of hope, he remembers his chivalry and he starts fighting for a good cause, right? And putting himself <laughs> sure. out there for someone else. That's also a similar, well, you could also look at Corvus in the same way, potentially. Sure, they're mirror images of each other to some extent. Right. Corvus was a very selfish person, just killing left and right, not caring, just sticking up for himself. But when the paladin shows up, he's like, wait a minute. And I think it's kind of that spark of hope and seeing that she's like something that you can stand for. And that, I think, is probably the greatest strength of the Paladin in this series, if I have to pick one, is that she was something people can unite around and kind of believe in. Sure. And that's why Corvus has his change of heart, because suddenly he isn't just out for himself. He sees there's something that he can be a part of, and he sacrifices himself for it, and Aiden is willing to sacrifice himself for it. And uh, there's a theme, potentially. That's true. I, I wish they had preempted that a little bit more and then 
um, focused on that more in the dialogue and the cinematography and really playing up her importance as the paladin and as this kind of symbol that people could rally around. And then it might have had more impact as I mean, a viewer. You know that famous screenwriting uh, saying, right? Tell, don't show? <laughs> yes. I think it's the other way around. Yeah. Oh no! This movie is deeply flawed. <laughs> I, also, I, yeah. I I don't want to like come off as being mean or negative. Like I really wanted to like this movie. I yeah. I really am like more than anything disappointed. the The biggest issue besides the confusing editing, which I mean is just going to hurt a film any way you slice it. But it's just the wasted potential. There's this backdrop of political intrigue. They're talking about rebellions and like this war between nations. And like they could have leaned into some of these themes. Uh, Leaf keeps like saying, oh, you know, oh, Ellen must be a peasant. You know, there's this whole like miscommunication about her being a peasant. And that must be this terrible thing. But then why doesn't the movie ever have anything to say about that? Why doesn't it have anything to say about class in a more interesting way? Why doesn't maybe she should have been a peasant who was able to rise up or she's going to be a noble, make her do something that makes her like redeemable in her own behavior, not just this faded, oh, well, she comes from a rich family, so she has to be this special person, of course. Right. It, it It's very unsatisfying that they don't say anything about society the way a lot of fantasy movies do. Or, or like, they, they touch on everything. They, like, get right next to, like, making a statement about class or the price of war and then they just let it fall off the cliff yeah. where, where Aiden and Elaine jumped without a sword. Yeah, I know. It's true. It's always like everything they try to say, they always kind of fall short throughout the film. And it, it is just largely disappointing. I feel like we're kind of doing a review at the same time we're doing a delve. <laughs> well, guys, I don't know if we need to delve too much deeper into the villain because we've already kind of talked about Corvus being evil and then suddenly redeemed for no reason. So I think we're kind of good on that. So why don't we just head straight to the smithy? Welcome to the Smithy, where we forge a rating for the movie after we each share an epic moment or feature from the film. Jack, do you want to tell us your epic moment or feature and then give us a rating from one to ten alicorns? Yeah, when you said epic moment or feature, Chelsea's face just looked so terrified to have to think of one. <laughs> it's true. I was like, what do you mean? Come on, there's plenty to like about this movie. <laughs> It it's it's flawed. That doesn't mean it's um it, it's irredeemable. That does not mean it's irredeemable. Let's see. I think my epic moment is gonna have to be the fight scene between Aiden and Corvus, actually. Cause both characters kinda got redeemed. I mean Aiden's redemption was a lot smaller than Corvus's which was very sudden and har uh, kind of hardly a redemption, more of a switching sides. 
but it was a very cool scene because Aiden was wounded from his fight with Leaf. He was like actively bleeding down his armor, which Corvus was aware of, but still willing to fight for her, to fight for Elen. And then Corvus wanted to fight for Elen as well. But in order for her to succeed, he had to die in that duel. And it was him kind of grappling with that while he was fighting, not sure if he should fight for his own life or fight for hers. And it was just a really cool moment because they're neither of them are in good condition mentally or physically, and they're both fighting for her. And I think that was a kind of interesting scene. But and, and they're uh, not like fighting for her like as a trophy or something like usually happens in these movies. It actually does do a kind of a cool twist where they are fighting to give her room to like use her powers to stop the dragon. Right. Yeah. Which is cool because she's going to be killed if they don't do this. Yeah, they believe in her and that's why they're doing it, which is very cool. Also, yeah, two guys fighting because they believe that, you know, a woman is strong enough to save the day. That's cool also. Yeah, that's true. I do like that message. Yeah. See, guys, we found it. <laughs> yeah. Also, no one acts like it's weird that a woman is the paladin either, which I appreciated. Yeah, they just I accept it. I thought that it. was hype. Yeah. Anyway, barring weird pacing, weird editing, a few uncomfortable scenes... I'm actually going to give this movie six alicorn horns out of ten. I had a lot of fun watching this. Despite it not being the most fantastic made film, it, I was so entertained the whole time. <laughs> so, six. That's a solid rating. Chelsea, your epic moment or feature, and then your rating from one to ten alicorns. I, okay. And I'm happy that Jack went first because it gave me time to think of something. Right. So, <laughs> so I'm going to go ahead and highlight the moment when they go to see that shaman or druid guy uh, to try to heal Elen or help her through the glittering. It's really unclear about why they go he's to her Chelsea, he's her glitter guide. <laughs> uh, oh, that's the best description. And yeah. he has to strip her naked and put her in a circle of crystals or something. Totally normal thing to do. I, I'm sure that that is going to be like the new hot fad for like healing. Yeah. It's like a circle of crystals and, and candles. And then the cool part is that he starts painting all these symbols along her body and when we were watching, people are like, what are those symbols? I don't get it. And like, I could see that it was a long, unbroken line with other lines and shapes coming off of it. And I, I recognized it. And I was like, oh, that's Oum script. You so, want to talk about the Oum oh, script? Oh, oh, yeah, 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 right. So it's spelled O-G-H-A-M, but it's pronounced Oum because Celtic. And... Uh, that's not right. <laughs> That's not how you spell Ogham. <laughs> it's a religious or sacred script that might have also been used for legal purposes, mainly religious rituals, though, uh, similar to the runes were for the Vikings. 
because the Celts had an oral tradition, but like the Vikings, they had a sacred script that they used. And so it's basically a vertical type of script with one long line and the letters or sounds that would be made to form words are created by having other lines and shapes coming off of the main branch, kind of. And it is based kind of like on tree branches, so that's why I, I say it that way. And it was also used as a form of sign language by the Druids. So that was cool. That's awesome. So yeah, I thought it was neat that he was probably a Druid considering that, and he knew this script. So they did some research for the movie. So that was cool. And I recognized some of the letters he was using that he was forming in the script. So I think it was actually accurate. I would love to go back in and freeze frame her body there and find out what they were writing on her. Not weird at all. Or if it actually forms any words or not. Good idea. Because I don't know if, like, I don't know how deep they got into that translation. Did they translate English to a form of Gaelic? Oh, that's what I should have said earlier, not Celtic, Gaelic. Oops. But uh, did they translate English to Gaelic and then to Oum, or just English to Oum, which would be kind of inaccurate? Probably that, but who knows? Uh, I really hope it just says something like, glitter, glitter, she's glittering. (laughs) (laughs) Ye be glittering, yo. That's got to be one of our memes that we create for this. So I think I've delved deeper into this than anything I did in the delve so far. But uh, let me give this movie a 5 out of 10 alicorns. We've talked it up a little bit in the smithy here, and it's it's raised it a couple notches for me. couple OM notches? Yeah. Uh, they, there are some neat elements to the movie, and it was a lot of fun, like Jack said. It's just, it kind of falls flat. But it it's worth watching at least once, I think. Especially if you can watch it with a group of friends. Watching it by yourself would probably be really terrible. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> it is better with friends. Yeah. How about you, Jamie? You know, I was just going to cop out and say that my favorite part was the demon raven assassin. Oh, well, he, that would be legit. I mean, he oh, was super cool. That's what I thought you'd say. And uh, our friend we were watching it with with and me were like, oh, this dude's like a total Dark Souls character and, and just kind of like, oh, he's like wearing the, the hood and fighting with swords and stuff. Like it's pretty felt like he would be cool in a Dark Souls game, but not going to do that. I am going to well, see what you're doing here is really sneaky because you're actually going to give yourself two because you did actually just do that one. <laughs> <laughs> what can I say? I know how to manage a dungeon. I know how to sneak in two epic moments or features. (laughs) So I'm actually going to uh, make my epic feature the fact that this movie is taking place as the backdrop to a rebellion against an unjust ruler in a, you know, unjust rule of a kingdom. And also with the added humorous bit that one of the reviews I read online was praising this movie for just being a fun movie and not political at all. And I'm like, dude, 
It's about a rebellion against an unjust rule. What are you talking about? <laughs> also, as we know, we've talked about this on the show before, everything is political, and the illusion that something is not political is merely a means of maintaining a status quo for the political elites. And it's a sign, if you think something isn't political, it's a sign that you're part of the status quo. When you're agreeing with the majority, check yourself. That doesn't mean the majority is wrong, but it means you need to make sure that you're thinking for yourself. There right. you go. There's this whole backdrop story about a rightful king being crowned in a secret coronation. This nation of Dara has been, uh, you know, overthrown and subjugated by the Vitalians. There's such a cool story there. This could have been, like, even if they were just trying to make fantasy Star Wars, like, you know, medieval fantasy Star Wars instead of science fantasy Star Wars, that could have been really cool. They could have taken some inspiration from Firefly, too. Sure, yeah. I mean, yeah, a, a lost war effort that some people are still trying to, like, come out the other end of, and some people are still dealing with the PTSD from and everything. Yeah, that would have been great. There's all these great pieces. I just don't know that the filmmakers in this case were able to put them together. Right. So because of that, I'm going to give this movie four alicorn horns. That's fair. It was disappointing. I wanted, you know, so much credit. I love that Anne K. Black makes these movies. I really enjoyed Mythica. I feel like this one was pretty similar to Dawn of the Dragon Slayer in that they're both pretty hard to follow and fall short on their promises. But, you know, I mean, the people in the movie seem to be selling it. They were trying. They were making a good effort. So I don't want to, like, totally knock them. It just, it didn't fit together well. Yeah. So. Yeah. I'm not going to look back, but I think I rated this one higher than Dawn of the Dragon Slayer. <laughs> you probably did. I hope, yeah, I hope this director keeps making movies. They're a lot of fun to review. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know where if this these were some of their first films or not, but y you gotta, you know, break a few eggs before you make an omelet. I don't know. Well, Did so that work? Did that work? <laughs> <laughs> some dragon eggs. Dragon eggs. Which, you know, when you mention that, I should point out that Anne K. Black also wrote Age of the Dragons, the Moby Dick-inspired fantasy movie that we covered on our show and we loved that i didn't understand yeah. why it didn't get more notoriety or or attention well i think because it was moby dick with dragons but that's a cool idea like i think that maybe these movies would be better if they just took inspiration from classical literature right. and retold the stories with dragons and like, that's what she learned for age of dragons <laughs> Um, so yeah, unfortunately, Age of the Dragons is actually an earlier film. Interesting. Well, so I don't, I don't get it then. It's like, she, she did a good thing with writing this movie, Age, Age of, Dragons. of Dragons, and then didn't take it to heart for the other film she did. I don't know. I mean, there's really nothing wrong with, like, taking inspiration from something. Age of the Dragons was creative in its own right. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't just a retelling of Moby Dick. It was a reframing of the concepts and a, and a retooling of the themes and stuff. Yeah. Is her name cool. Anne K. Black? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Anne K. Black, if you ever want to come on Swords and Satire and review a movie with us, 
we'll be happy to have you. Or if you want the cast of Swords and Satire in a movie, you know, you can oh. email us on at you know Swords and Satire at Gmail. <laughs> Hell yeah. I mean, I'm sure after hearing this episode, she is definitely going to want to work with us, right? I'm just saying we wouldn't keep watching and reviewing the movies if there wasn't an appeal to it. No, I, like I said, I, I really like her films. I, yeah. I just thought that this one fell short. So, yeah, Mythica 6, if she's still involved with those, I'm I'm ready. Yeah. Sign me up. Well, thank you all for sticking with us as we tried to summarize and break down the crown and the dragon, which I keep wanting to call Dawn of the Dragon Slayer, the sequel to this movie. Wait, Dawn of the Dragon Slayer is the sequel? <laughs> Don't start now. I'm serious. I didn't know that. Yeah, I kept saying that. Oh, I thought this one was the sequel. I'm so confused. It, it's oh, really no, up you're in the right. Air. This is the prequel. This is the, this is the, this, no. <laughs> <laughs> this is the second movie. Oh, okay. Dawn of the Dragon Slayer is the original. They're all so confused. And the Crown of the Dragon is the sequel. Is there a third one? Not yet. Oh, boy. <laughs> I know that uh, Anne Black started making the Mythica movies after this. I wonder if after this she's going to get inspired and then that's the movie we're going to be in. The third I, movie. I certainly oh, hope yeah. so. Okay, now I feel inspired to do a rewriting history about the third movie next week with casting us in there as different characters. Dawn of the <laughs> Dawn of the Dragon Crown. <laughs> and so it's going to be a little meta because we're casting ourselves as characters. In oh the movie. God, no! Yes. Not self-insert fan fiction. Ex that's every week, Jamie, <laughs> <laughs> of our podcast. Okay, every other week. <laughs> yeah, we don't often insert ourselves in the story, though. Don't we? I don't think so. I don't try oh, we'll to. We'll just be cast as the characters, right? Mm -hmm. We'll see. I mean, it, it, it's fanfic, at least. <laughs> the, sure. But I don't usually insert myself. <laughs> I don't. I certainly don't try to. So we're signing off, right, on the episode? Nope. <laughs> this episode will never end. <laughs> never ending oh podcast uh, <laughs> we still haven't done that movie still have one day oh shit we gotta do that maybe in the new year it's like imagine the year like without the pandemic oh i already thought of the intro yeah <laughs> your podcasts are safe <laughs> and that one isn't no <laughs> I like to hear stories of scary wood wood horror short stories. Oh, but then you get to go back to being a listener again. <laughs> you remember that conversation between the bookstore owner and uh, Sebastian? Oh, Where he's yeah. like, your books are safe. Right. Yeah, Captain Nemo. Under the sea being grabbed by a giant squid. That's what I like about it. Oh, but then you get to go back to being a little boy again. You don't with this? Your books are safe. <laughs> That's right. Good call. Yeah, yeah. Your podcast is safe. <laughs> yeah. This one isn't. <laughs> yeah. Decidedly not. No. Because <laughs> we're trapped. <laughs> we're <laughs> trapped. Crown of the Dragon has trapped us. 
Yeah, no, I'm just waiting for you guys to get back to the episode. All right, I'm just saying, we're trapped, and when we hang up this call, <laughs> real world is going to hang up, and we're still going to be in these Discord boxes. It makes sense to me. Okay, so if you like the episode and you want to talk to us about it, you can send us messages on social media at Swords and Satire, or you could email us swords and satire at gmail.com and if you really love the episode and you want to hear some great outtakes of which there will be many from this episode you can follow us on patreon and back us and get all of our awesome bonus content like voting rights <laughs> that sounded <laughs> that sounds more sinister than Chelsea's uh said it. Oh, voting rights on the movies we watch. There you go. There we go. <laughs> you do not need to be a patron to have general voting rights. <laughs> you just need to be 18 and a legal citizen. Yeah. And registered. Uh, yeah, and, and mm-hmm. you just have to be 18 and registered to vote and you know a citizen or whatever. Right. But if you want to vote for movies for the show, <laughs> then you have to be a patron. That's right. It's a good time. <laughs> and if you want to reach us for any business inquiries, or you just want to say hi or share your thoughts, you can email us at swordsandsatire at gmail.com. N.K. Black. <laughs> <laughs> Subliminal messaging to the director. Yes. And uh, thank you so much for listening. Yeah, and until next time, Hail Hail Crawl. Crawl!